If you are able, please stand with me for the reading of this morning's text. I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Ephesians chapter 4. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you would bless the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of your word. Lord, we pray that by the power of your word and your spirit, that you would conform us more and more to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So as we've been talking the last number of weeks about God's covenant, about His love for us, and about how we interact one with another, how we are to love God and to love one another. We come to this passage in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And we come right in the middle of this letter, right in the transition. Now for those of you who know me, Paul's letter to the Ephesians is one of my favorite spots in the scriptures. I love this letter. It's a little weird to say it's a favorite. Um, not sure we should have a favorite verse or a favorite book. It kind of slipped out. Um, I love the theology in the early part of this letter, and I love how practical it is in the latter part. I'm going to confess to you that as I was trying to sum up the first three chapters to give us the context for the passage we're going to look at in chapter 4, I really struggled. I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. And I kept thinking, I'm, I'm leaving stuff out. There's good stuff here that I'm missing. And I continued to write and I thought, you know, the Lord already wrote this down for us. And so if you would, humor me, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to read to you some of the great words written about the doctrine of salvation. The doctrine of the unity of the church the spiritual blessings that we receive. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, that's you, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings 
in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Amen. Hallelujah. In whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Wherein he hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. I'm sorry, Elder Evans can't write like that. Elected by the Father, predestined to adoption, blessed with all spiritual blessings, redeemed by the Son, through his blood, sealed by the Spirit unto the praise of his glory. Hallelujah. The doxology, the praise in Paul's voice is clear. And then he goes on to pray for his readers. He prays that you might know what is the hope of Jesus' calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in the saints. And that's just chapter 1. In chapter 2 we read, And you hath he quickened. He made you alive. 
You who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversations in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Verse 4, but God, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins. He has quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and has raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Life from the dead. Saved by grace through faith. God's gracious gift showing us His kindness. Sounds like somebody wrote a summary of the doctrines of the Reformation. Or maybe it's the other way around. That at that time, when you were in your sins, you were without Christ. Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off, have been made near by the blood of Christ, for He is our peace." He has made both one. He has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. Making in himself of twain one new man, and so making peace that he might reconcile both unto God in one 
body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. No more strangers, no more foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord in whom you were also builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. You were without hope. But God, you were without peace. But God, God provided that peace between us and Him. And He provides peace between each other. And through the Spirit, we have become the very house of God. Chapter 3, which I will not read. I will not belabor it. But in chapter 3, we learn of the mystery of the gospel. How two become one. The great mystery of the gospel revealed to us. And then Paul prays again for his readers. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul wears me out. You are being rooted and grounded in love. That is our foundation. And that is our jumping off point into the passage that we're going to look at. And it speaks of the unity of and in the body. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Paul uses this word walk a lot in this letter. He uses it to indicate the way you live. 
the way you pass your life here. We read it earlier that in times past, we walked according to this world. That we should walk in the good works ordained for us. Later in this chapter, that we should walk not as the Gentiles. We should walk in love as Christ has loved us. That we should walk as children of light. That we should live our lives according to love. He then goes on to tell us about this vocation that we should walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. This is one of those times where the, the word is repeated. The word vocation here is translated in another place, calling. So we get this emphasis that uh, worthy of the calling wherewith you were called. This is being called by the will of God. This being given the gift of grace and of faith, whether to a person or to a nation. This calling is how we are defined. This is who we are. The word that is used for church in the New Testament is made up of two separate words. One means out of, and the other means to call. So the church, the body of Christ, is made up of those who are called out of the world. Called out of darkness. Called out of damnation. Out of death. Out of paganism. Out of hopelessness. Calling us out by mercy and grace and love. Calling us into life and hope and peace. Calling us to become members of the body of Christ, joined together. My Lord, to become one body. One. So we are to walk worthy of this calling. Then Paul goes on to tell us what this would look like, how we are to be. We are to walk worthy of our calling with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love.
lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. This is how we are to be. As we've been called together, joined together by the Lord, we are to be like this. Free from pride. Humble. Meek. These are tough. We're Reformed Presbyterians, right? This is not often how we are characterized by those inside our circles and those outside our circles. We are called to love. To be of the same mind, to be of one accord, doing nothing through strife, but in lowliness of mind, and to esteem one another better than ourselves. Gentleness, not easily provoked, submissive, without murmuring, not easily irritated. Our model, of course, here is Jesus who told us, I am meek and lowly in heart. This, again, is not a common description of us, is it? Paul tells us in Galatians that if any man be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore each one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The spirit of meekness modeled by Jesus. I again ask, is this how you are described? Is this how we are described? Then we get to long-suffering. Patient. Not easily provoked. 
bearing injuries or provocation for a long time. This is really starting to get at the heart of love, or charity, this godlike love that we are to show one towards another. We can go all the way back to Exodus and see this in God's character. For the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and in truth. This is God's character in love, as Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 13. Charity suffers long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Long-suffering. This long-suffering leads us to forbearing. Patience. For ye suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. For ye suffer... If a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face, you are patient and you restrain from action. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on Charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are also called into one body. And be thankful. Be thankful. These traits are part of one called by the Spirit. Called by Jesus. Is this how others describe you? Is this how others would describe us in this body? This is our struggle, right? We looked at those passages in Acts. And we want to be that church that is full of the Spirit. That is growing. 
and is loving on one another. We want to see the fruits of the Spirit in our midst. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That's how we want to be treated, right? I want you to note something about these fruits of the Spirit. You can't measure them. You can't hold up a ruler. You can't keep track on a piece of paper. No checklist. As we tend to like those kind of items, right? Oh, we should be reading our Bible every day. And you should, okay? Check. Got that one done, right? We pray every day. Yep, we prayed. Fast. Half a check mark. Church attendance. Check, we got that most of the time, unless the plague is on us again. Membership in the Reform Pub, check. Got that one, right? You know, y'all are going to have to tell me when the Reform Pub is no longer the cool place to hang out, you got to tell me, okay? Because I don't hang out there. <laughs> I'm not cool enough to get in, apparently. So what's our point here? If we are to be like this, what is the point? If we are to walk worthy of our calling and to be like Jesus, what is the point? See, in verse 3 it tells us, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's our why, if you will. To keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's the point. This word endeavoring here is not one we use a lot in our daily conversation. It means, you know, to be diligent, earnest, eager, make every effort. The word's a little broader than that. It's a little richer than just endeavor. It shows up in other places in Scripture. And in one place it's Translated, study, same word, to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study, endeavor, study. In Hebrews 4, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. The word labor there is the same one as our word here, endeavor. And in 2 Peter Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Diligence. Laboring. Studying. Endeavoring. Earnestly. 
diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. See, we are called to watch or to keep an eye on or to guard or to keep, to maintain what has already been given to us. See, thankfully, this maintaining the unity of the Spirit, it's like salvation. It's not something that we can generate or create. This also, this unity, is a gracious gift from the Lord. We are at peace because Jesus purchased it for us with his blood. Like salvation itself, we are called to die to ourself. We are called to rest and to trust the Lord. We do not create the unity. We do not create the peace the community that we've been placed into, this body, we don't create it by our works, by the works of the law. We do not create or maintain this unity through the strength of our flesh. Praise the Lord. But by the gifts that the Lord has given to us. We are primarily called to be, and I keep stressing this, we are called to be the body of Christ. We are called to be the church. It is not a checklist of things to do. There are things to do, but we are called primarily to be. We are called to be one body. We are called to be thankful. We are called to be charitable. To be forbearing. To be long-suffering. To be meek and lowly in heart. Like Jesus. We are called to be filled with the fruits of the Spirit. One of the things that I love about Paul's writings is he takes all of this really heady theology, the first three chapters of this letter, great, rich, black coffee type theology, and he says it leads us to the understanding that we are to be unified in Christ. Not that we are to be smart guys arguing out on the internet. Theology often sets us apart. It puts a difference between believers. And this is important. Doctrine is important. Truth is important. 
But the example that Paul gives us here is that these great and glorious truths should lead us to lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Forbearing one another in love. See, if these doctrines of grace do not move from our head to our actions, if it does not conform us, if it does not transform us, if it does not change us, if these great doctrines of grace just stick in our head, And if they don't move from knowledge to charity, then you and I are a clanging, tinkling cymbal. That's what Paul says. If the knowledge does not move to charity, Paul says, you are nothing. And that you and those who are around you will not profit from this theology. It will mean nothing. So as we look at lowliness and meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, How does that affect our view of each other? How does that affect our view of our children? How does it affect the view of those outside of our theological tradition? Paul says... Jesus purchased peace for his people. Paul said that Jesus came and preached peace to us. This idea of peace is important. Paul tells us in Romans, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Who here could use a little more peace and a little more joy in the Holy Ghost? Five, six hands. Good job. Even the promises by the prophets looking forward told us that this peace would come. That this covenant of peace would come. Ezekiel tells us, Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant. I will place them 
and multiply them and set my sanctuary in the midst of them forever. My tabernacle also shall be with them. And we know that's us. I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Isn't it just like God to communicate to us the great doctrines of the unity of the church, the unity in the Spirit, this peace, and this joy, to encourage us to be meek and long-suffering and forbearing one another. Do you remember last week when we talked about how the Son of Thunder became the Apostle of Love? You know Paul's story, right? In Acts chapter 7, we read this. and We'll spill over into chapter 8 a little bit. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him, Stephen, with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen Stephen calling upon God saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at the time, there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. You see, Paul was persecuting the church. He was rounding up the Christians and having them executed. He was the great destroyer of the church. And yet, when God got a hold of him, when God knocked him on his backside and blinded him and converted him 
and sent his spirit to live in him. Saul, the destroyer of the church, became Paul. Our beloved Paul, who gave us all those glorious doctrines, gave all the glorious instruction. It's that Paul who told us that we should walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If Paul can preach that message after destroying the church, brothers and sisters, you and I, through the power of God's Word and His Spirit, and the fellowship with the saints, we can move towards loving one another. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word today. We are thankful for the challenge. We are thankful for the encouragement. And thankful for the conviction. We're thankful for the grace and the mercy that is conveyed to us through your word and your spirit. Lord, we desire to be a, a spirit-filled church. Lord, we ask that you will set us aflame, that you will cause us to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that we can love each other with a pure heart. Father, we pray that those who know us will see this love that we have for one another. They will cry out, oh, what love they have for one another, for they would even die for one another. Lord, we pray that you will make it so. In Jesus' name, amen.